This podcast is for adults only. Content covers BDSM, kink, fetish, and adult sexuality. This type of content may be triggering for some, and we urge you to put your mental health first when considering if it's suitable for you. All activities discussed on this podcast are between enthusiastically consenting adults. BDSM and kink activities carry safety risks and we do not endorse activities mentioned on this podcast as right for your personal circumstances. We recommend self-education and engagement with community as appropriate ways to begin your real-world kink journey after you finish listening to this podcast. This is your extreme cheesiness warning. We are very cheesy people, and if you're not comfortable with that, this podcast is not for you. Hey Oz, what type of music does a cheesemonger listen to? I don't know, Prez. What type of music does a cheesemonger listen to? R and Brie. To help, I think I'm kinky. I'm Oz. And I'm Prez. We're Australian lifestyle kinksters and along with our kinky friends, we're here to help you get started on your kinky journey. In this first season of Help, I Think I'm Kinky, our goal is to promote kink-aware inspiration, education and a sense of community. We share a variety of perspectives and voices and some of the conversations that happen behind closed doors. Last episode, we heard from our kinky friends about some times when things went well and when things didn't go to plan. What have you been up to since our last episode, Oz? Well, it has been a busy week. Look, to help people get their heads around creating their kinky superheroes and how this connects to them better understanding who they are as a kinkster, I wrote a short piece on FetLife. Thanks to those who have read and left a comment the more and more we see people creating their own kinky superhero images, the more we see them grappling with who they are as a kinkster and what really matters to them. Keep your kinky superhero drawings coming in. If you need ideas, definitely check out the writing on FetLife. The link is in the show description. We'll be looking out for these and sharing as many as we can via our Instagram page. Help, I think I'm kinky, all one word. Simply share and tag us so we can see your creations. What have you been up to, Prez? So pleased you asked, Oz. (laughs) I was privileged to run my Skillshare on service submission again last week. As you know, that's a topic I'm very passionate about. I loved meeting the people who attended and I really enjoyed all the interactive elements of the workshop, as I always do. And I was reminded how much people love reward stickers. I love reward stickers. And you and I read about a kink, Oz, called Looning, and we decided to give it a try in a scene. For those who don't know anything about Looning, basically it's play involving balloons. Just make sure that if you try it, that you order the balloons from somewhere that you know they're going to have them ready at the time that they said that they would and that they're well inflated. And also be sure to warn those people around you when you're playing that they, there may be some popping involved. It's surprising how many people list balloon popping as a hard limit based on scary childhood experiences. All aboard! 
Today, our kinky companions return to talk about a very important topic, how they stay safe in kink. My name is Pretty Please. My name is Rose. I use the pronouns she and her. I'm Mon. I'm he, him. I'm 31. My job is basically maths and spreadsheets. That's as much info as I'll give. Um, I am... 32 and I work in healthcare. I am 22 and my occupation is a student with way too many part-time jobs. Hi, I am Kitty. Uh, My pronouns are she, uh, her. I'm 29 years old and I work as a nurse. Nancy Lixit. She, her. 38. Creator of Smart. Hi, I am Sen and I am Susan Death XO on FetLife. My pronouns are she and her. I'm in my late 20s and I am a full-time student. Because as a top, a lot of the safety stuff I focus on is making sure the person who's bottoming with me feels as safe as they can. So like, I guess for me, a lot of the how I handle safety is, for myself as well, I guess, is... A, just in negotiation and communication because um, one thing I've kind of got is a big document of negotiation questions to go with someone if we're really planning on doing a lot of things together. So to try and cover like everything that I have thought of before and to get like real detailed answers so that I know that I, in a way so that I know I'm safe in knowing what I can do without it being too much. The perspective I kind of approach for my own safety is kind of how do I not mess up rather than, you know, how do I stay physically safe during this scene? So I think, yeah, just really detailed negotiation and just asking about things. If I'm even like 1% not quite sure, it's like, I'll ask questions like, I'm 90, 90% sure this is a yes, but I'll still ask it anyways. For my personal safety, um, I have some injuries that I always mention to anyone I will be playing with, even if I don't think it will come into the play we are planning. Um, like, So some of that is that I'm not terribly flexible as much as I would love to be a sexy contortionist. That is not me. Um, so... There are some positions that I can get into, but I can't hold. So that sort of thing. Other safety things, safe words, obviously a big one. Um, I find the pain scale or something's from 1 to 10 very useful, um, especially as a heavy masochist. Um, And yeah, and then there's also like safety equipment. Like I have a little, um, little safety kit in my bag that I carry to scenes, so I've got my own um, shears that I take. I've got uh, band-aids, painkillers, not that I'll ever hope to take them because I want all the pain, Um, but, um, yeah, that sort of stuff where it's just, you know, take responsibility for your own physical safety as much as you can. Having safe words. (laughs) Just going to keep repeating this. Traffic light system. Use the words, communicate, 
Be risk aware. Know the risks of what you're doing. I'm someone that has, I love breath play. It was my original kink. I also have a family. I don't want to die. So it's not something I do very often because I'm so aware of the risks and I'm very aware of how far I like to push things. Um, If you don't want to do something, don't. Even if you're in the middle of it. Any respectful person will be able to stop and go, actually, okay, let's let's stop and regroup, maybe keep playing or just stop completely. And that shouldn't feel weird a- at all. Um, don't tolerate shit humans. Only play with people who have similar values. So for me, it's being an open and honest person, someone that values sexual health. That They get screened for STDs regularly that they will ask they will ask whether you get screened for STDs I met a couple and I said you know they'd they'd met they'd met another couple that night and gone back to a a hotel or a house with them that night and I said oh you know you just met them that night how did you how did you ask how did you bring up sexual health like you know like that quickly and they said oh no they just said they were happy to play unprotected because we didn't look dirty and I was just like oh my god (laughs) like what a massive red flag like yeah so just people that are on the same page as us let's let's prioritize sexual health checks and the fact that we're using um, protection let's also have a chat about what happens if we don't use protection and someone gets pregnant because I feel like that's pretty important as well like where do you stand on that I mean it's different with everyone um I like to get to know the person um I and I like to start off on a vanilla date uh just to see kind of how you kind of go, um, but especially because I do a lot of uh, mental and emotional sadism um, and I don't like to do that if I don't know you because I guess I kind of feel in my experience the physical side of like giving someone pain, it's a lot easier to see whether they like it or not, um, but the emotional side is kind of, it's a bit darker and it's a bit you know, it's a bit harder to kind of see whether or not you've affected them forever. And so I guess one of my rules when I'm playing, if we are doing emotional or mental, I, you know, I need to know you and I won't play any of those dark games beforehand. And if it's a physical game, it's a little bit easier because I am more open about the conversations that we'll have and people tend to know what sort of pain they can take. And so I guess I'm kind of a conversationalist, I guess, for safety, which is, you know, finding out where your levels are first. Um, I like to do weird adventures with potential partners. Um, One of my partners, I took on a number of weird adventures because he kept being quite elusive about where his kinks lie. And, you know, I took him to a cemetery and, like, I took him to a beach and a park and, like, we kind of did a lot of weird kind of adventures where I was trying to make him feel uncomfortable Um, so that I could see what that looked like, so that I could understand where he was coming from. Because I think a lot of people um, in my world, submissive boys, you know, they think they're braver than they are. And if you put them in awkward positions and on weird kind of dates and like sometimes I would pretend to be, you know, like 
the oh please me kind of person and just kind of see how they react to certain emotional situations um, before I go into the darkness with them for their own safety I guess. My way of staying safe in kink is to sort of check in with myself and say hey is this something that you really want to do? Do you feel safe with the person that you're doing it with? Um, something that I've discussed with my dom is that I really don't like the concept of no and stop not being valid safe words. Um, those things are what's going to come to mind immediately if I need things to stop and I don't want them to be uh, of lesser value than some other word that we've kind of come up with. Um, and I think that for me personally, because I don't really engage in like that consensual non-consent play or anything, um, that yeah, no and stop are they need to be taken seriously, especially when doing like impact and things like that that do put me at risk and can make me feel very uncomfortable or in pain. I do need to remind myself to step back and think about things. Um, like, you know, meeting new people, I have to think about it logically rather than getting the emotional, you know, block in my head. Um, so just... If we're going to try something, if I'm going to try something new with someone, I like to just like have a conversation about that first, um, think about what risks are involved with it and if I'm comfortable with those risks um, and then also discussing like how we can potentially negate the risks if possible. Um, I haven't done anything too crazy yet. <laughs> uh, I think the most intense one was using the palette wrap um, and I wrapped my sub up um, and covered his mouth and everything as well. Um, but, you know, I made sure I had two pairs of scissors there ready to go. Um, we had a safe word. Um, yeah, so it was like it, I was I, – I felt like I'd put in enough um, precautions in place to make it as safe as it possibly could be. Um, and, yeah, I think that's just what I try to do when I when I'm – playing is to just make sure that things are as safe as they can be uh, and as safe as I'm comfortable with them being as well yeah I just love that my kit has a massive pair of bolt cutters in it um because we've got the leather cups cuffs and stuff but we use locks on them so you know if anything and we use chains and stuff so if anything does go wrong like it's there yeah and then when I've I've <laughs> I've done a few silly things in my time because um, I like playing by myself as well um, and chains and locks are very fun. Uh, I have almost been stuck twice <laughs> but I do, um, after the first time, I uh, made sure that where whatever I'm doing my phone is in reach and um, I had – or since moving I haven't done this because my friend lives an hour and a half away now um but before I moved I said to I would let her know that I was like getting up to fun things um and if I need help I'm gonna give her a call <laughs> yeah what did you hear in our kinky travelers stories Oz I heard that our kinky travel companions talked about more than one type of safety. They were mentioning a lot of things, you know, that, that related to physical safety, but we definitely heard mention of sexual safety and emotional safety. There are many dimensions involved in the 
kink play that they talked about and I guess that's what, make, what makes it really engaging. However, it's really important uh, that we're all aware of, you know, how these can be affected in any particular scene. One of the things uh, that the people in the interviews mentioned was the importance of being risk aware. In kink and BDSM, we'll often use the acronym RACK, R-A-C-K, which refers to risk aware consensual kink. We know the activities we are describing contain risks, so honest discussion of these is a key trait of kink play. It's also the responsibility of everyone involved to make sure that it happens. Although there's a particular onus on the top to manage the safety and risks within the scene and to talk candidly with bottoms about them. I personally like the acronym PRICK. No, I'm not not calling you names, Oz. It stands for Personal Responsibility Informed Consensual Kink. This highlights that all kinksters should take personal responsibility for their kink. I think it's an important point to emphasise this no matter which side of the play we're on. Everyone has their own personal risk profile and learning and expressing their own limits and what's beyond these is a critical part of evaluating the forms of play that they engage in. For example, Rose talks about her expectations in relation to sexual health testing. Sen wants no and stop to remain safe words. And Nancy will not engage in emotional and mental play before she has a deeper understanding of her play partners. And ability to communicate comfortably about risks before play is critical. Getting to a point where people are comfortable to open up about sensitive topics can take some time. Everybody's different and there is really no harm in allowing time for this. It, it, it makes everybody safer. And having their own safety tools and first aid items is great. Bolt cutters, safety shears and scissors, got to mention. Hopefully none of these are ever needed, but these are ways that they can mitigate risks. Realistically, removing all risk is impossible, but some risks can be reduced or removed. Overall, really, we're advocating for um, making things as safe as we possibly can so that our kink journey is not only just fun, but it's a long one too. Our special guest, Jimster on FetLife, has been actively involved in the kink scene for about 12 years. His favourite form of kink play is bondage, and he has a school that teaches people how to do this safely. He's also a photographer that works with people in alternative lifestyles and in BDSM. Welcome to the podcast, Jimmy. Uh, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Um, I, one thing that we just mentioned in your introduction is your favourite kink. What is mm-hmm. it that you enjoy most about bondage? Um, for me, personally, it's the ultimate trust-building exercise. Someone is literally giving you almost every ounce of their freedom. Uh, a lot of people find it quite liberating because all of a sudden they have no control. They don't need to worry about something because they're stuck. They've got nothing to do. They can't do anything about it. It's just a nice feeling. Well, you mentioned there the the nature of bondage is people putting their uh, trust in you for that time. And uh, I guess, you know, most of it involves restraint of some form. So what are some of the risks that you take into account when you're doing this sort of play and, and how do you manage this during a scene? For me, it's always about what the bottom is experiencing. So my first kind of thing that I, I do as a checklist is where their mental health is at. Because uh, the last thing you want to do is get someone that's, in a really bad state and all of a sudden you've taken the one thing that they have at that point in time away from them and it kind of gives them a really bad experience 
And that's kind of my first thing, you know, where's the bottom at? Um, and then I look at any physical things that they might have, you know, have they hurt themselves? Do they have any injuries? And I think a classic example of that is once uh, I'm known for doing something called the marionette suspension where people can flip and flop and spin. And the person that I was suspending, I remember the person was so excited to get into this marionette that they completely forgot that they had sprained their ankle. Um, so they were halfway up and went, oh, I've got to come down. So it's a physical thing. You look at them and go, oh, okay, where are you at physically? Any injuries that I need to know about? Uh, through to your environment, um, are you in a, in a situation where everyone in the room is respecting what you're doing and know to stay clear? Or are you you know, in an environment where there's a risk that someone's just going to suddenly walk into your scene. list goes on and on. I think the last bit is knowing your equipment and how to use it. Um, you know, what are, the, what, what are all the safety tags on it? You know, can it actually do what you need it to do? Uh, like with, with uh, a lot of the stuff I do, I, I love my extreme stuff. I'm not going to hide that, um, like heavy chains, heavy leather. You know, when I'm doing floor work with that, it's eh, whatever you can find that works. When it comes to doing something where I'm actually got got someone's well-being at risk, uh, part of my background is I did a lot of um, remedial massage in my younger days. So biomechanics and physiology are the two things I know well about. So knowing where to put things, how things move, how to actually manipulate things to be able to hold up bodies, making sure that what's holding up the body can hold it up and doesn't get to the point where it snaps uh, which i've seen at least half a dozen times in my experience you know people go oh it's okay i'll just use this because everyone else uses it and um i've actually got a close friend that's because of what they were doing ended up having to pay sixteen thousand dollars for uh, the face reconstruction because uh, they were doing a rope suspension and the rope snapped and you know face met concrete for me it's just about understanding what the percentage of that happening is. So if someone comes at you with a crazy idea, what are the sorts of conversations that you're having with those people? Uh, first things first, have you ever been suspended before um, or even tied up before? I've, I've, I've had so many people over the years in this massive strange rush that they need to be suspended and they've had absolutely no bondage experience whatsoever. So they don't know what it feels like. They don't understand that being suspended in certain ways can actually be a form of breath play. Um, one experience I will say I had, and I was kind of lucky that my mind works the way it does. The second both feet came off the floor, they started panicking uh, because having loss of that much control where they couldn't even touch the ground, just sent them into this massive downward spiral of, holy shit, I'm no longer in control of anything. Lucky for me, I put in a few very good fail safes to be able to get them down very quickly and very safely. I guess this comes down to the question of what, how do you feel about cutting your rope? It's just fucking rope, buy some more. Um, it's as simple as that. Someone has given you so much trust. And um, Phil Anselmo from Pantera said it in one line, all the money in the world couldn't buy you a second of trust. So that's the value I hold to someone that has given me the trust to let me do something to them where they have no control. Um, so is losing someone's trust worth 200 bucks worth of rope? Fuck no. What would be your top tips for staying safe during kink play? One, understand what you're doing. Do your research, do your practice, right? Make sure that what you're about to do is a hundred percent ready to go. And if you're at the stage where you're practicing, understand that's where you're at. Don't, don't push any boundaries while you're practicing, practice what you need to practice, get it right. Number two is 
always ask questions. There is no stupid questions. Right? Never be afraid to ask a question. And if someone can't answer that question, maybe get them to do some homework too. Because homework's a good thing. The only time you stop learning is when you're dead. It, it's, it's kind of what got me the ability to do the things that I can do uh, from chain to pallet wrap to rope to anything. It's my ability to ask questions and get as much information as possible to make it as safe as possible. Because the second you're kind of shooting in the dark, that's when you're really putting people at risk. And for me, it's not really worth it. Thirdly, see step one. Know your stuff, do your homework, understand what you're doing. And get, honestly, there's no such thing as too much information. For anyone new coming into the scene, is there anything that you would suggest they consider in terms of safety uh, in the play that they're you know, considering doing in the future? Kink equipment can be expensive, but don't skimp on it. And I say that because a couple of old friends of mine found out that I was into kink play and thought, oh, that, that, that sounds interesting. So they went out to a local sex shop and bought a plastic flogger and some tin handcuffs. Uh, and they had an absolutely horrible time. You know, they just went, oh, we'll just, as a trial, we'll, we'll get the cheap stuff. And it, the plastic flogger kind of cut into the skin. And a lot of people don't realize that handcuffs aren't designed to be comfortable. And I'm not saying go break the bank. I'm saying have a look at what you're buying and look at a nice mid-range and talk. Don't be scared to talk to the people that know what they're, what they're doing. Oh, some fantastic advice there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jimmy. And uh, we hopefully get to hear from you sometime in the future. No worries. Thanks for uh, having me. Last stop. We've heard from Jimster about his top tips for playing safely. Oz, what would your top, <laughs> top tips be from your personal experience? Well, Chapter four on rights and responsibilities in the new topping book discusses many different dimensions of uh, the, di the many different risks involved in kink play and how to manage these as a top. It's a really valuable place to start, especially if you're new to the scene or you're just getting your first experiences into play. The following tips are just as applicable for those who are just engaging in kinky play with their partner in the bedroom or if you're venturing out into the scene at large. Uh, number one, know your bottom and how they play. So who are they? What do they want out of play? What are the potential risks that might come up specifically for them? We heard in the interviews that Rose mentioned a health condition that impacts her play. So are you aware of those things in relation to the people that you're playing with? What else do you need to be aware of in addition to the logistics of just arranging the scene and carrying it out? You are in a particularly powerful role as a top, which means that you have a responsibility to not just play with them for the agreed time, but also to make sure that they leave the scene or the session feeling protected and cared for. I'm a little cynical about pick-up play at events for this reason, diving into giving people a full suspension, caning or anything else you might see at a BDSM event with someone you've never seen play, no knowledge of anything beyond what they've just told you on the night, seems to me to be a recipe for disaster. As I said last episode, I'm really passionate about being an empowered bottom, so being as aware as possible about things that I'm doing, protecting my own safety and developing my own risk profile, and then being prepared to communicate this. Small slip-ups can have really long-lasting effects. Nerve damage is a, a common example of that. 
And some of these slip-ups could have been avoided through conversation, through negotiation. On the topic of pickup play, it's really important to ask questions as a bottom so you know what you're getting into. Mm. A good introductory question can be how much experience a person has with the thing you're wanting to try. As you said last episode, Oz, if someone takes offence to being asked questions, it's probably a sign they're not the safest person to play with. 100%. And on the opposite side, consider if the person you're looking to play with then asks you any questions. I know of a recent example where a charismatic person bought some implements and decided to try out impact play for the first time at a public event. They approached multiple bottoms for play, all of whom accepted, no questions asked. And I wondered if these people might have felt differently about putting their safety in this person's hands had they known this top had zero experience. And also I wondered what the top may have learned if the bottoms had asked them some questions. There's there's a massive difference between trying out a new toy with a friend or partner and dropping a stranger into some intense form of play where the risks are many and complex. My biggest fear as a top would be how much I don't know about the person that I'd be playing with, how they react during intense play and how much they really know about what it is that they're agreeing to and the dangers that are associated with it. My second top tip is know your equipment and understand the risks. Kink and BDSM play is usually full of risk. The sensations that we receive, the experiences that we have go beyond everyday experiences. So just picking up a toy and wielding it without understanding of what you're doing, how it works or what the possible dangers are is just plain irresponsible. It's not edgy, it's just dangerous. So know what you're using, whether it's a flogger, whip, fire tools, candles, wax, rope, whatever. Understand how to use them and how to be prepared for when things don't go to plan. Wax play is one of those things that comes up as one where people think that they're engaging in a fun, low-risk form of sensation play. However, even in our time in the scene, over and over, we hear of people who engage in this without researching the risks of what they're doing and how to mitigate them and then find themselves or their partner in a world of burning hurt. Yeah, yeah. Just don't just grab candles off the shelf at the local gift shop. Um, knowing the different forms of wax and how they melt at different temperatures is really important if you're going to engage in that type of play, as is how you control the temperature of wax during a scene. So uh, none of these things should be taken lightly. There's a reason why many people who teach different forms of play will encourage tops to explore how the sensations feel themselves before playing with others. So as a top, have you experienced the sensation you're planning to give? Have you experimented with the toy on yourself before playing with others first? Also, make sure your equipment's clean, disinfected, and it's maintained in good order for play. And last but not least, repeat after me, shit will go wrong, what are you going to do about it? This really needs to be your mantra tops. Even if you found a wonderful person who's putting control of the play in your hands, there are things that don't go to plan, or are beyond our control. One of the things that you suggested, Prez, when we began doing shared play with others in a scene was to discuss an emergency contact with them, to get them to write down a name and a number. You know, we don't keep the number, we don't even have to look at it unless we really need to, but asking someone to at least think of this has been a really important part of our play negotiations. Prez, I've talked a bit about uh, how to play safely as a top. What about um, in terms of playing safely as a 
bottom in a scene? I'm going to come at this from a slightly different perspective, Oz, with some of my personal lessons about keeping safe. My first tip is don't kink and drive. One of my first kink experiences before I knew it was kink was that my partner on the day dropped me back to my car and left and I found myself suddenly shaking all over and unable to drive. I know now that this was a form of sub drop, but at the time I was alone and needing to drive and I didn't know what to do. I called my play partner, who was incredibly dismissive, I think he thought I was being clingy, and said, call me later if you're not okay, and hung up. I remember saying, I'm calling because I'm not okay now, but he'd already hung up the call. So I managed to drive myself to a nearby store and get some water and lollies, and after about half an hour I was okay to drive again. The second time I had an incident with driving was after a scene with you, Oz. I drove into a bollard in the underground car park of your building, smashed my headlight and then drove over the plastic, unaware that I'd punctured two tyres in the process. Two minutes later on the highway, I lost control of my car. I veered into a curb and ended up having to be towed. I called you while I was waiting for the tow and you very kindly came and sat with me. The third time, because apparently I don't learn was after a rope class when I thought I was fine to drive, but apparently I was a bit spacey and I scraped a parked car because I didn't even see it was there. The lesson in all of this is that kink play affects us physically and mentally in ways we may not expect or even be aware of in the moment. I'd suggest making arrangements that avoid having to drive yourself home after intense play and if you can't do that, allow at least an hour post-play for recovery. And this applies to activities besides driving. Consider in advance what rest you might need after play and what activities you might need to avoid for a little while. You've repeated this phrase of not kinking and driving many times to friends that we know, especially when they're playing for the first time. We've also driven people home after events due to how much they've underestimated how much their play has affected them or perhaps it occurred at the very end of a night when they didn't have enough time to recover. It's just so important to look out for your friends. Absolutely. My second tip is to have safe words and non-verbal cues. Have you considered what you'll do in a situation where verbal cues don't work? Maybe it's a loud setting. Maybe you're gagged. Maybe you've negotiated a speech restriction or maybe like me, you go non-verbal in certain activities like um, in rope bondage. I use negotiated hand and foot signals to reflect my green, amber, red traffic lights in the event that words can't be used. I once got really mad and yelled and kicked you, Oz, sorry, um, in a scene once where you missed two ambers because the room was noisy. We've learned from that. So we have other signals now for when it's noisy. I've held a squeaky toy, which I've squeezed for amber and dropped for red. And there are lots of fun options that can be worked into a scene. Is this where we cue the sound of the oinking of the pig toy that we used to carry around in our rope bags? (laughs) In all seriousness, this was a really great option for when you couldn't speak, um, but you could easily squeeze it if you needed me to check in. And I absolutely salivate when you whisper in my ear, are we still green? Look at you. Damn, consent is sexy. (laughs) (laughs) My next tip is on negotiation. Early on, if you're not in an established dynamic, make sure you do your negotiations on an equal footing, not within the power exchange space. 
you need to have equal agency in that conversation. And there shouldn't be any renegotiation once the scene begins. What I mean by that is that tops shouldn't start adding things that were not pre-agreed. Power isn't equal once you're in the scene and headspaces don't have the same clarity. It's easy to get carried away and later regret doing things that you didn't agree to in advance. Worst case, it could result in serious harm and a loss of trust. There's nothing wrong with leaving a person wanting more. Just be sure that you get as much as you can out on the table in negotiation beforehand. And of course, it is not a renegotiation if during a scene you decide that you wish to withdraw your consent because you're not comfortable. Call amber or red as appropriate. Consider your emotional risks as well as your physical risks for when you're negotiating. It can be helpful to keep a little notebook with a list of things you've learned that you need to let your play partners know before play because sometimes it's really hard to remember important things in excited moments like Jim's dimension with the person who had the sprained ankle. We have some links to templates that you can use to guide your negotiations with potential play partners in the show description. I use some of these regularly with play partners, especially in new play relationships. Not everyone feels confident out of the you know, starting gate to ask these questions or to even respond to them. So these tools help provide some language and some further support to uh, organise a scene and have the right conversations. My final tip is consider how you choose your top. I receive a lot of messages asking how I found the perfect dom for me. A perfect ready-made dom who knows all your wants and needs and thoughts and kinks does not exist. And while I think you're an absolutely amazing partner, Oz, what drew me to you was that it was clear you were a really good communicator, a kind person and a person who worked to establish trust. You treat me like a human being and a co-conspirator, not a fantasy object from porn, unless that's specifically what we negotiate. Our dynamic is something we create together. We are both constantly learning. There's no off-the-shelf perfect play partner or dynamic. That's a fantasy. Embrace the fun of creating something with other flawed human beings. Exploration is the best part. If there's something I hear a lot, it's disappointment in doms who look like the sexy, rough, cold, mysterious stereotypes from TV or porn. And then they turn out to be just that, rough and cold. And the bottom is disappointed because they're expecting a level of care and communication that doesn't exist in that person's personality. It seems hot to play dangerously. But don't disregard your safety just because that super attractive person says safe words aren't sexy. Or let them diminish your need for aftercare because they're just not emotionally available right now. I suggest that you chase tops who are already warm and friendly. As it says in the new bottoming book, a platform of mutual care and respect becomes a stage for outrageously hot and nasty play. Well, that's a wrap for today's journey, Kinky Superheroes. Next week, we'll be talking about a super important topic of aftercare and whether sex and kink always go together. Follow us on Instagram at helpithinkimkinky, one word, to see and share kinky superhero images and to stay up to date with our future episodes. Like and follow on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode and please leave us a glowing review. 
Thanks so much for joining us again this week. And remember, follow your kinky heart, but take your brain with you.